0: chapter 5 if you'll turn in your Bibles. If you're new to Calvary Chapel, we go through the books of the Bible chapter by chapter and verse by verse. And we've been in Galatians for the last few months, and we've covered the first four chapters. We took a little break uh, at Christmas, at Christmas Eve services, uh, and then last week on uh, New Year's Day, we had the Prophecy Update. By the way, a lot of people have been asking about that. That is uh, uploaded on our website, so you can go to the Prophecy Update there are the teachings, and you should be able to listen to that. So we want to get back to our Galatians studies, um, and we've covered, as I said, the first four chapters, and then we're going to go into chapter 5, we'll begin reading at verse 1 of Galatians chapter 5. And before we get into our study, it's a good time to remember to turn our ringers off our phones. To be ready to hear the word of God and Lord, we come to you first and we ask that you would bless our hearts. We desire right now to hear from you, Lord, to be teachable. And sometimes this concept of liberty and freedom that we have in Christ, Lord, um, can be hard or we misunderstand. So we want to make sure that we have clarity and understanding going through these chapters what it means To live in the liberty of Christ, to be yoked to you personally, to walk after the Spirit. So I thank you that we can get that clarity and understanding. So teach us, Lord, bless this time in the study of your word. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So in this epistle that, of course, uh, penned by Paul the Apostles, he's inspired by the Spirit of God. Uh, Galatians was probably the first... Uh, Of the epistles that we have recorded of Paul in the New Testament. He would write to the Galatian believers shortly after his first missionary journey to them, and just by Quick way of review and and to remind you that the legalists were coming in, the Judaizers. They were Jewish believers who were coming to the Gentile believers there in Galatia, those churches established Derby, Iconia, Lystra. And as they had experienced their new freedom in Christ and coming to salvation by faith in Christ, the Judaizers were coming in behind Paul and saying, No, it's not that simple, that you have to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses. Paul is writing to them, and as we have seen, uh, that he is giving them once again the gospel of grace. In chapter 1, right away he writes that I marvel that you're turning away from the gospel to another which is not the gospel. And he would defend the gospel of grace in the first two chapters of this book. He writes about how he went from living under the law as a Pharisee to being dead to the law, that he might live for Christ. And then in chapters 3 and 4, he would reestablish them in the doctrine of grace. And he would use Abraham from the Old Testament, one from the beginning, clear back in the book of Genesis, as an illustration of one justified by faith. For Abraham believed God, and it was accounted to him for righteousness. Chapter 15, verse 6 of Genesis. It wasn't because of the law. That was before the law was given. It wasn't because of the covenant of circumcision given in chapter 17. Those things did not declare him righteous before God. But he believed God. And Paul made it very clear that the law cannot save you and I. The law is righteous in and of itself. It's God's holy standard. But you and I, we don't keep the law. We're guilty. And there was a purpose of the law because the Judaizers would say, then what was the purpose of the law? Why was the law given? Well, the purpose was given to drive us to Jesus Christ, to be a schoolmaster, to to make us realize that we need the Savior of the world, Jesus Christ, because he's the one that came and fulfilled the law, the Son of God who died for our sins. And now Paul, in the last two chapters of this epistle, We'll write about walking in the grace of Jesus Christ, living in the freedom and liberty that we have in Christ. Let's begin to read that as we uh, read in verse one of the chapter that stand fast, therefore. Now, whenever you see that word, therefore, he's going back to the previous two chapters. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free and do not be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. It is the redemptive work on Calvary's cross that has freed us in Christ Jesus. Uh, the apostle, as he has written uh, down all about the gospel of grace, and keep in mind, there's only one gospel. There's not two or three gospels. He is emphasizing to them there's not a gospel for the Gentiles, and then there's a gospel for the Jews. We all come together as one. There's neither Jew nor Gentile. There's free free or slave. We're all one in Christ is what he's telling them. And in this letter, he tells us that the law will not free you. It will confine you. It will not declare you righteous. It only declares you and I guilty. As we know, the law is God's standard, but it shows us that we can't keep that standard. We are not holy in and of ourselves. It is faith in Christ Jesus that has freed us from sin, condemnation, uh, from uh, being guilty before God. And now Paul, after writing as we finish chapter 4, he reminds us that we're not children of the bondwoman, of Hagar, but of the free. He is challenging us now as we move into chapter 5. He's challenged us to stand fast. That word is used six times in the New Testament. It means to stand firm, staying in place. Don't be moved. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty by which Christ has made us free. They had been moved. And it's easy for us to be moved away from that. Because somebody will come along and say, well, I'm going to emphasize performance as your basis to be righteous before God. And we want to be righteous before God. We, we want to, to perform. And we think that's the basis in which God will approve us or by salvation is that works. The work basis. Yoking ourselves to legalism, whatever the case may be. Now, when we hear this word liberty also that we're free in Christ, people tend to think... That liberty and freedom means that I can do whatever it is that I want to do. That's the other side of the spectrum of this. I can live as I please. I'm free to sin. There are those who say, you can't emphasize liberty in Christ. You have to keep people under the law. There are those who say, hey, I have liberty in Christ, and I can live any way that I want. I'm free to sin. That's the meaning of what is being said here. So as we go over these two chapters, we're going to see very clearly how it is that we live in this grace that has been bestowed upon us, the grace of Christ that saves us. And we will see clearly in these last two chapters of Galatians that liberty and freedom in Christ does not mean that I live as I please in my flesh. You hear people sometimes that will accuse us who say we have liberty in Christ, We we emphasize grace, the grace of Jesus Christ, that he did the work, that we cannot save ourselves. And they'll say, well, that's just sloppy agape, or that's cheap grace. And those are terms that sometimes we hear, which I don't care for those terms, because grace is not cheap. And we know that as we think about the greatness of the price that was paid for our sins, he paid Jesus a tremendous price. We're going to come to the communion table, and we're going to remember what Jesus Christ has done for us and allowing his body to be broken and his blood shed for the forgiveness of sin. He suffered in ways that we cannot fully understand. The lamb that was truly led to the slaughter. So that we might have forgiveness of sin, that He did the work, that we might come into relationship with with Him and the Father and be declared righteous by our faith. The liberty and the freedom that we have in Christ is so that we can know Him, have relationship with Him, closeness to learn of Him, and to please Him with our lives. That is how we stand fast in the liberty and freedom in Christ Jesus. Don't be moved from that, is what He's saying. We're free to know him and to love him and to live for him. Stand fast in that liberty. Don't be entangled again with the yoke of bondage. And, of course, Paul is speaking about don't put yourself under the law. Don't look to the law to justify you before God because the law will not do that. And the law will not free you. It will only put you in bondage. And as we've gone through this epistle, I've made reference to Acts chapter 15 that that council of the leaders uh, that met in Jerusalem and Barnabas and Paul and Silas and the leaders there in Antioch. That was kind of the, the, the leading church that was sending people out in the early church to the Gentile churches. And then those in Jerusalem, Peter and James and John and the others, they come together and they're dealing with this whole issue. What is it that we're going to tell the Gentile believers? Do they need to be circumcised and keep the law of Moses in order to be saved? And we know that Peter would get up and he would speak. And he would say that we know that, that the Gentiles are getting saved. And why would we want to put a yoke on the neck of the disciples, which neither we or our fathers were able to bear? That is the yoke of legalism. And it is the same idea here in Galatians chapter 5. We do not base our relationship with God on the basis of works and legalism. We are free from that. We base it on love and on faith. Christ has freed us from the yoke of legalism so that we can be yoked to him personally. And in Matthew, it's recorded that Jesus stood on that hillside. And he cried out to the multitude. He said, come to me, all of you who are weary and heavy laden. If any of us yoke ourselves to legalism and works, and that's what we're basing, our relationship to the Lord, our approval from the Lord, our salvation, it will make you tired and weary. Because we feel like it's never enough. I know I lived in that realm for a while. That I have to earn God's favor. That I have to work. That I always wonder, when is it enough? One day I may be doing good, the next day I'm not doing so good. And he said, come to me all of you who are weary and heavy laden. And come learn of me, for I'm gentle and lowly in heart. And take my yoke upon you. And you will find rest for your soul. For my yoke is easy, my burden is light. Jesus was raised in a carpenter shop. And so we believe, most scholars, that he was a carpenter. And I just wonder, I wouldn't make a doctrine out of this, but I just wondered if Jesus specialized in yokes and making wooden yokes to yoke two animals together. I like to think that perhaps he did. And he says, take my yoke upon you. A yoke would yoke two animals together so they would travel together. For my yoke is easy. My burden is light. The yoke of legalism, if you yoke yourself to legalism and works in performance, it becomes burdensome and heavy. We are free to be yoked to Christ, to be free in Christ. And it is not free to sin. Listen, it is free from sin and to be yoked to Christ so that we can live for him. He continues writing that, Indeed, I, Paul, say to you that if you become circumcised, Christ will profit you nothing. And I testify again to every man who becomes circumcised that he is a debtor to keep the whole law. So those legalists were, of course, coming to the believers, the Gentile believers, and saying that they had to be circumcised, and the Christians were believing that. And therefore, they were seeking righteousness by works. And if that is the case, the apostle reminds us, then Christ will profit you nothing. If you embrace the law as a basis of righteousness, then, listen, you have to let go of Jesus and what he did for you. He's no longer our righteousness. Christ will profit you nothing, verse 2. And the apostle goes on to say that if you emphasize Circumcision, legalism, and earning God's salvation and approval, then verse 3 then you need to keep all of the law. You are a debtor to keep all of the law. It is not pick and choose. And no amount of obedience will make up for one act of disobedience. And we know that to be true because the wages of sin is death. We've all failed. We've all sinned. We've all missed the mark. Now, after church, if you decide that we're going to go out to lunch and you're going down Highway 34 and you're speeding and you get pulled over by the state patrol and he comes and you ask him, why why'd you pull me over? And he says, because you were speeding. Well, you can't give me a ticket. I've driven down this road hundreds of times and I didn't speed. I was good. I was within the speed limit. You can't say, well, I'm a good person because I just went to church. I was over at Calvary Chapel, and I'm getting out, and, and so, you know, don't, I'm a good person, whatever it may be. You're going to get a ticket because you're guilty, because you were speeding. And all of us are guilty because we've broken the law. And then the fine, the wages of sin is death. And he continues as he presses this point of being one that, that were yoked to him, the standfast and the liberty. You have become estranged from Christ, you who yoke yourself to legalism, you who attempt to be justified by the law, verse 4. You have fallen from grace. If you're depending on your own works to be righteous, then you've fallen from grace. And if you add to the cross of Christ to save you, that he paid the price, that the work is done. It is Christ alone. Jesus did not cry out from that cross. It is 90% finished. I, I did 90 or 95% of the, the work. So now you have to do the rest. And if any of us add to the cross of Christ, then you undermine what he did for you on that cross. And if you're going to stand before God thinking that I can do it on the basis of my own works, then you better be prepared to show that you've been perfect. And we know that we're not. We're a debtor to keep the whole law, he writes in verse 3. And putting yourself to the yoke of legalism and believing that you're justified by the law, by works, if you're depending on your performance to a religious system, then you better be perfect. And we know that we can't. That it just declares us guilty to law. God's righteous standard. And that's why it is Paul that states that if you have that mindset, then you have fallen from grace. We know that the apostle would write in Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Galatians is called the mini Romans. But therefore, by the deeds of the law, no flesh will be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Putting yourself under the law, yoked to legalism, means you fall from grace. Realizing that you're a sinner in need of the Savior, Jesus Christ. You've fallen from that. The unmerited favor of God. That's what grace means. And we need to come to the point and to the realization that grace is grace. That is a gift from God. Salvation. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8: For by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves, it is the gift of God. Now, two weeks ago we were celebrating Christmas. What if you got a Christmas gift from someone and, and as you 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 gave them that Christmas gift? that they said, hmm, they pulled out their wallet and said, I think I'll give you $10 for this gift. That would be odd, wouldn't it? It would be weird. It would be an insult. Because it's a gift that you're given to somebody else. And salvation is a gift that comes from Jesus Christ, his work on the cross. And to say that, here, here's my two cents. Here's my works. That's an insult to what has been provided and given to us. But as we continue on, that for we through the Spirit eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith, for in Christ Jesus neither circumcision nor uncircumcision avails anything, but listen, but faith working through love. When we read the word hope in the Scriptures, it's it's a different meaning than what we use the word hope. I hope the weather is nice this week. I hope I have a good week at work. Here in the scripture, it takes on the meaning, that word hope of certainty, of coming expectation. Because we are saved through Jesus Christ, we have the hope of heaven. It is not that we hope that there is a heaven. It is not that we hope that we go to heaven. We have the certainty of heaven. We have the hope of heaven. We read that we have through the work of the Holy Spirit, God working in us. The hope of righteousness by faith. We eagerly wait for the hope of righteousness by faith. You see, as a Christian, it it is not that we're soft on sin. It is not that we desire to live and walk, you know, after the world. It is that we desire to live and walk righteously in holiness. We come to him, the one who is holy. And we are... To be conformed into his image by the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. That's why you you have to be born again. In Romans chapter 8 says, he who doesn't have the spirit of God doesn't belong to Christ. And as we're born again, a new creation in Christ and, and the Holy Spirit dwelling in our hearts, he's working in our lives to live a life after him. And then Paul would write in Philippians chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this very thing, that he who has begun a good work in us will complete it until the day of Christ Jesus. It's, it's a work in progress, sanctification. I'm still growing, but I wait for that day when I will see my Lord. And as John would write in his epistle in 1 John chapter 3, verse 2, we know that when he appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is, John goes on to say that he who has this hope, and we are going to see our Lord someday, purifies himself. If we are living in a way that maybe perhaps that the Lord's going to come for me, or maybe the Lord's going to come for the church and the return of the Lord, that if we live every day in that, knowing that I'm going to see him, that I'm going to stand before my Lord, the one who died for me, And provided salvation for me. That it has a purifying effect on our lives. I'm not going to try to live after the world. I'm not going to to put my hope in the world. And it doesn't come, this hope that we have in Christ. And the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. To conform us into the image of Jesus Christ. It doesn't come because we are circumcised or not circumcised. That avails nothing but faith working through love. Now, I have that underlined because it's important. Salvation is by faith apart from works, but it is faith that is genuine. It's a living faith. It does work, and it's worked out through love, loving Him, loving our Lord. I've had people that will come to me, and they'll want to argue. They say, well, James chapter 2 says that faith without works is dead. And you see, you have to have works, and it is faith and works that saves. But that's not what James is declaring. He is declaring that faith, living faith, real faith, it is faith that works. And that's why James says, I will show you my faith by my works. And it is works through love. You see, we have faith and love in Jesus Christ. We have faith towards Jesus Christ. For me, can you imagine what it would be like being a pastor? And, you know, if I was your pastor coming in and saying, Well, I guess I have to give you a Bible study. And I have to be an example to you. Or I have to, you know, seek the Lord to see what it is that he wants me to say. What would it be like if you said, I hope none of you got up this morning and said, I have to go to church. I have to worship the Lord. Because if I don't go to church, then God's going to be so disappointed and I might lose my salvation and all of this. I have to do, do, do. And there isn't that love towards him. You see, it is love that says, I get to come to church. And we get to worship together and hear his word and to seek him. It is love that says, Lord, I want to hear from you today. I love it when David writes in the Psalms that I awaken the dawn to seek the Lord. It's like David is saying, I am so excited to seek the Lord that I awaken the dawn. Now, the dawn usually awakens me. And I can be tired in the morning. But I love that from David who says, I awaken the dawn. I can't wait to spend time with the Lord, to hear from him, to have my devotions, to serve him, to worship him, to walk with him. And it is love as faith working through love that says, I don't want to sin. I want to spend time with him. So remember, it's not a works basis of putting yourself under the law. It is faith in love and through love that produces works and keeps you there. As I said for a long time that I I used to, Lord, I got to perform. When I was early in my Christian walk, I, I, I thought, I've got to do this. I've got to perform this. I've got to be this good. And when I wasn't and I did fail in that, I thought, Lord, you must be so disappointed in me. I'm just a spiritual waste. Why should I go to church? Why should I read my Bible? Because I just fail all the time. And one of the things that can be hard for us is we think that there is no free lunch. At least that's the way I was raised. There's no free lunch, son. You have to work. And I appreciate my dad. He taught us how to work. He taught us the importance of work. My dad worked hard every single day. And matter of fact, he would come in when we were small. He he always had something for us to do. And he would come in our rooms, you know, on Saturday mornings. We didn't get to sleep in. And he would say, I want you guys to get up, get dressed, get your pajamas off, and put your pants on. And that's the way, and it drove us nuts. When my dad passed away and went home to be with the Lord, we were talking about that. You remember how dad used to come in and say, put your pants on. And, and I appreciate the work ethic because work is good. But we can carry that into our spiritual lives. That I've got to work to earn his approval, to earn his love, to earn that salvation. And as when we rest in the work that he did. You will do more in your love for him and growing in faith with him than you ever do in trying to perform. And great is the day when we make it our own to say, Lord, you know what? I am not yoked to performance. I'm yoked to you. And I have your approval. And I have your love. You proved it by dying for me while I was yet a sinner. And to just... Grow in that love that you have for him and in the word and in his grace. It's a wonderful thing. The other side of the spectrum is this liberty that we live in isn't so that we can live after the world. It was Peter that said, you've been brought out of the darkness into his marvelous light. So why would you want to go back to the darkness? This world is messed up. I don't need to tell you that. Why do you want to go back and live after the world? So it is faith that works, a living faith that says I want to live for you, not that I have to do this, but I want to do this. I get to do this. I get to worship you. I want to, Lord, because you died for me, and your love is in my heart, and I want to experience that life abundantly that you have for me. It is faith in love and through love that produces that works as I desire to live for you and keeps you there. And you ran well who hindered you from obeying the truth. Chapter 1, who troubled you? Chapter 3, who bewitched you? Now, who has hindered you? And Paul oftentimes would refer to, you know, athletic events, running, winning the prize, wrestling, we don't wrestle with flesh and blood. I just wonder if he really kind of liked sports. I think maybe perhaps he did. But he makes very important principles, spiritual principles in that, as he alludes to running well here. You Galatian Christians, you've run well, who has hindered you? The idea here, who has cut in front of you? Now those of us guys, you know, and gals that are old enough, do you remember the 1984 Olympics? Um, there was the anticipated 3,000-meter race, the women's race, and it was Mary Decker's from the United States and Zola Budd from South Africa. They were both competitors. Mary Decker, I believe, had the world record, and they anticipated this race. And when it went on, and it was a famous race, what happened is Zola Budd cut in front, or at least that's what the conclusion was. She cut in front of Mary Decker, and Mary Decker tripped over her and fell down and stumbled and, and lost the race. And I can still picture her husband was a big bodybuilder and picked up this, you know, Mary Decker who was small and thin, you know, and she was a runner, a long-distance runner, and, and she was just crying, and, and that picture is there. That's what it reminded me here when I read this. Who's hindered you? Who cut in front of you? Who hindered your race? And I know that there have been times that I have seen people who have come to Christ and they're growing in the Lord and they're growing in grace and, and they're excited about the Lord and this freedom they have in Christ and they've been brought out of the darkness into his marvelous light and then somebody comes along and says, well, it's not quite that simple. What about the Sabbath? Why don't you dress this way? Why don't you do this? And why don't you do that? And all of a sudden, you begin to question your salvation. You begin to think, am I really saved? And and you begin to struggle in that because I've had to perform rather than just resting in the love that he has for you. And that's what was happening to the Galatian believers. Who's Who's hindered you from obeying the truth? Who's cut in front of you? Who's tripped you up? And he goes on and he says, this persuasion does not come from him who calls you. It's Jesus. The false teachers are hindering you, giving you another gospel, persuading you into that which hinders your relationship with the Christ and brings you into bondage. And in verse 9, a little bit of leaven leavens the whole lump. So in the scripture, we know that leaven is a picture of sin of evil. And you might recall that it was Jesus that said to his disciples, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. They're full of hypocrisy. Their hearts are corrupt. They don't speak the truth to you. And if you start to to just receive a little bit of what they have to offer, these Judaizers, it will begin to permeate your heart. Just a little bit of leaven. Put into the dough, into the loaf of bread. It begins to permeate that whole loaf. It spreads. And always remember this, that it only takes a little lie to corrupt a large truth. And that's why it's so important that we have clarity and understanding what is being declared, what it means to live in grace. To have clarity and understanding what the scriptures declared. Because I've said this before and I'm going to reiterate it. If you don't know the scriptures, somebody's going to come along and persuade you into another gospel or they're going to trip you up. And if you don't know the word of God, then you're going to be deceived. Deceived because there are so many voices that are out there. And I pray for you and I, that as we continue to gather, going through Galatians and through the word of God, that we would be established. That we would be established in our salvation. That we would rest in his love. Established in his truth. That we may run well for the prize that is before us. And desiring to please him with our lives because of our love for him and what he's done for us. And as we come to the communion table, we're going to remember that. As Father, we come. We come today and we just, Lord, we thank you for these words and for this truth declared to us that we're to stand fast in the liberty that we have in Christ. But it isn't live as we please, it's to live for you because of what Jesus has done for us. And as we come to the communion table, we're going to remember how Jesus' body was broken for us and his blood shed, that we can be free from death and sin and bondage in the world. We're the most blessed people that there are. We want to marvel at your incredible grace. We thank you. And we're going to spend all eternity marveling at your grace and provision. But this morning as we hold the elements and and the communion table is for the believer. As believers, we come together as one to the communion table to remember his body broken and bloodshed in this new covenant that we belong to, Christ living in our hearts. The Holy Spirit, God dwelling in a new heart, a new creation, conforming us into the image of Christ because of what he did on the cross. I do want to pray, if there's anyone here, listen, if you're here and you've never repented, it means quit going in the direction you're going because you'll never be good enough. But also know this, that Christ loves you and you're to repent of your sins and turn to Christ and call out on the name of Jesus to be saved. He is your salvation. There is none other. And you can do that right now because tomorrow isn't promised to any of us. And you can come in faith and say, Jesus, I, I hear the gospel. The good news is that you died for my sins and I am a sinner and I ask that you would forgive me. And I ask that you would be my personal Lord and Savior. I believe you are the Son of God that made atonement for me, that rose from the grave, and I thank you for forgiving me in this new beginning. And I do want to walk with you and know you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name. And Father, if anyone did pray that prayer, that they would come up and tell somebody when we conclude the service. And we want to follow up with them and bless them. But Lord, right now as the communion elements are handed out, that we would just... As we prepare to take communion together that we would, Lord, just continue to remember the incredible, incredible, wonderful cross that Jesus died on for us.